I'm Sinead O'Moore and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast. Every Mum the Podcast was created for one reason, to get honest about parenthood, about the realities, the joys, the surprises and the fears, the moments that form us and the ones we don't hear people talk enough about, which is why we are so proud to partner with Water Wipes as our sponsor for this season, as they share this mission with us and are such an essential brand for every mum. As creators of the world's purest baby wipes containing just two ingredients, 99.9% water and just a drop of fruit extract, water wipes are purer than cotton wool and water and also the proud winners of three National Parenting Product Awards 2020, including Best Baby Wipes. During the early days as a parent, everything is uncertain, but choosing the right wipes shouldn't be a worry. With no artificial fragrance, soap, silicones or colours, Water wipes are suitable for sensitive newborn and even premature skin. Together, we are committed to providing more reassurance for parents with trusted products and this podcast, helping us to all take those important steps towards greater confidence while building a community of support for every mum. Our little babies are so precious and even a minor illness can make every parent worry. But when it's more serious, sometimes the most obvious sign is your own good instinct. In this episode, I sit down and talk with Orla Donlan as she shares her experience this year of listening to her own good feeling, which was telling her that something was wrong with her little boy, Rua. As a mum of four and a trained midwife, Orla explains so kindly how it doesn't matter how experienced you might feel. When something happens to your own child, the emotional pain and weight of concern, especially throughout this cold and flu season, can be so heavy. And she reminds us how important it is to have people to look after you while you look after your child. The only thing better than listening to Orla today was seeing her happy little boy in her arms. And you can too if you want to follow Orla Donlan or her hashtag Rooting for Rue on Instagram. It's a really special episode that we know will help every mum. Orla, welcome to Every Mum the Podcast. Thank you so much for agreeing to take part in this and thank you so much for bringing little baby Rua with you here today. Thank you for having us. He's absolutely beautiful. More beautiful in real life than even in your beautiful Instagram pictures. He's a dote. Well, I think so, but I am biased. (laughs) How old is Rua now? Um, He is almost eight months. Eight months. And it I think anybody who's following your story, it has been a bit of a turbulent eight months, to say the least. Yes. Take us back to when Rua was born. And I suppose everything, I think, was perfectly normal in the beginning. Yeah. So he was born. He was absolutely fine. Um, he was a tiny little baby. And my others were kind of, um, you know, seven and a half pounds. They were small as well. But he was six, ten. And then he went down to six, four. So he was really little petite little baba. and um, as the weeks went on, I noticed that he wasn't growing out of his, you know, newborn clothes or his first size mm-hmm. stuff. And it was all tiny little clothes. He wasn't really growing out of it. And um, he wasn't growing out of the nappies. And he started having his, um, Hello, Rua. <laughs> he started having his weigh-ins and he just was gaining. He was gaining. He never lost weight, but, um, it was very slow, not gaining the prescribed amount mm. every week. Um, and so we, um, public health nurse was kind of concerned, as was the GP. And um, my GP is excellent and 
she knew all my other babies had gained weight so well that she kind of from the get-go was a little bit uneasy and he also had really bad jaundice for um three about four weeks um and again she was quite worried she said it was very severe jaundice so she was a bit on edge mm. um and so and that you was, have four kids under five at this point so you're very much you're you know to be able to be looking for like what a baby your what your other babies were typically doing and yes. growing and everything like you're very much in the zone at that point yes um yeah I just my others all grew I mean no they're always they everyone kept saying oh don't compare babies but they definitely just piled on the pounds from the get-go um and he just didn't he never mm. got those big chunky cheeks or the rolls or anything like that so um your instinct was yeah was on. I was just slightly I think it was just always there in the background you know um and then I kind of started noticing that he was breathing a bit fast now newborn babies as you know breathe mm. a bit faster than we do um but yeah I, I I clocked it a few times and I thought okay it's probably nothing you know um and then in August I remember he was lying in the pram one day and he was completely flat and I thought his breathing looks a bit funny so by the time I got over to him it had stopped and it was fine Mm. so I was like okay that's fine later that evening I was getting him changed and I had stripped him down and I just like his his chest looked so strange it was I knew straight away it was a chest recession from my midwifery days um and it was like his rib cage was lifting up and out of his body that's the only way I can describe Mm. what it looks like and there was pulling along the side of his ribs and and um he when I picked him up I just got a fright I picked him up and he kind of sounded like he was wheezing a slight Mm. bit and never in my entire life of my parenting life did I ever just have that feeling of I need to go to the hospital now never like I just literally scooped him up put on a jumper grabbed some nappies and I went downstairs and I said to my husband we have to go we have to go to the hospital um so don't touch it don't touch so I went in we went into the hospital and they acknowledged that he had chest recessions they could see that his oxygen was dipping a little bit but you know it was fine for a minute or two before he went home. So they mm-hmm. let us go home and they said it was, he would most likely get a virus in the next day or two. He's probably linked to that. How old was he at this point? So he was, that was August. So four months, mm-hmm. um, three and a half, four months. So we brought him home and again, my GP was really like, bit uneasy about it so she referred us to the local area medical officer and um we had an appointment with her with her one afternoon and she saw the chest recessions she saw the to get me at the fast breathing and she said you need to go to the hospital right now like I'm seeing that in front of me and you have to go now so she told us to go home and pack a bag and she wrote us a letter to go in so we went in and they were so dismissive. I like I don't even know if I want to say that. They just were very dismissive. Mm-hmm. But 
um, they kept saying, the doctor kept saying to me, you shouldn't be here in A&E for weight problems. And I said, but we didn't come in mm-hmm. for weight problems. The letter says we're here because he has tachypnea and because he has chest recessions. And he just kept saying, no, no, you shouldn't be here with weight problems. And I was so like, where did they think you should be? He said that should be dealt with in the community, which if it was solely weight problems, absolutely. But I just, I was really angry. I was very frustrated. I felt like they thought I was hysterical and, mm. um, you know, so they discharged us. And as we're walking out, my husband said, do you feel better now? Do you feel reassured? And I said, absolutely not. Like, don't feel reassured at all. Like, I feel like I'm shouting and nobody is listening to me, you know? So it's a really horrible position to be in as, you know, he's only four months and you, yeah. you must advocate for him. Yeah. You are his voice. That's it. And I did definitely feel, and I guess if probably other people, mothers and fathers feel like this as well. I definitely felt afterwards, like I was kicking myself the whole way home going, I should have just stood there and said, I'm not leaving until you check him out. We kept asking them to do um, a heart, um, like an ultrasound of his heart. We just wanted him checked out so that we could go home and rest easy. Um, and I think I definitely had a lot of guilt over not just standing my ground. But it's very hard when you're there and they're saying, no, you need to go home. There's nothing wrong with him. And you came from a medical background. Yeah. Yeah. So and you I, you more than most probably have, you know, you have more language, you're more familiar in those medical places. I'm sure for a lot of women who don't, you know, who don't have experience in that area. Yeah. would even feel less supported. Yeah, and I did actually feel as well that when I initially went in and started, you know, explaining the symptoms to the nurses and the doctors, you know, kind of felt like they were kind of half listening. You know, that kind of way when you feel a bit dismissed. And it was only when I used the medical terms that they suddenly were like, oh, do you, they kept saying to me and Tim, do you have a medical background? We were like, I was like, yes. Yeah. And then I felt they took you ever so slightly more seriously, but still. It shouldn't have to happen. It shouldn't have to happen. You shouldn't have to have a medical background to be taken seriously. Like coming from a medical profession, I don't want to be critical because obviously the nurses and doctors are amazing, but I think they see so many parents. Yeah. That they just sometimes can become a little bit dismissive, basically. Um, so the next day. They probably see so many cases that aren't anything, anything to be worried about. Totally. But to every parent, every little thing is something to be worried about. Absolutely. And even if you go in um, and it isn't anything major or serious, you should still be taken seriously because then the next time that something happens you don't want to think oh god they made I me feel I shouldn't go in you should go in if you are worried about your baby you should present that's what the hospitals are there for um and yet I feel bad for them because they probably don't have enough resources, resources to absolutely. be able to take every single case so they have to prioritize yes absolutely and and I do get that as well and god they have to work in very difficult conditions, very understaffed. Um, it's not fair mm. at all. So at what point did it escalate to the point that you were now being listened to? So we have, as I said before, we have an excellent GP. Mm. I feel like everyone's going to want to know who this yeah. GP is afterwards. <laughs> um, Keep it to yourself. You'll never get an appointment I again. Know. <laughs> she is so excellent. Like um, she, the following day I went back to her 
because I was very distressed, distressed. And um, I asked her to refer somewhere privately. I was really upset. I just wanted him fully checked out. So she had given me the names of a few um, consultants and she said that she would send over a referral for us. So that was fine. Um, and the next day I was out and I had a missed call on my phone and then my husband rang me and he said, oh, I just got a call from a consultant in the hospital and um, he wants us to come in on Sunday and they might keep him for a night just to observe him. I said, OK, great. And I was like, that's really strange. Like, did something come up on some of the tests? I just didn't know. Mm. And then I thought, like, why now so soon? Yeah. And like, why so suddenly, like out of the blue, we'd already been discharged. So anyway, I rang my GP and she had on our behalf rung the hospital and said to them, you have to see this baby. Like the mother has presented twice before. You need to take her seriously. Um, so we went in and um, again, we were seen by a more junior doctor first. And he again was saying, you know, like I can see the chest recessions, but he's very well, like he's a very healthy looking baby, which he is. Mm. Um, but I kept saying, well, but the chest recessions and failures thrive and, you know, all that stuff. And so anyway, he was obviously asked to just admit us and get us all set up. And then the consultant came in. And when the consultant came in, he said, um, you know, you're right. Chest recessions are never normal. It's either a sign of like a virus or any kind of um, respiratory issue, or it's something else mm. more sinister, more rarely, but can be. And um, like something's causing it. Yes. Babies don't have it. They're compensating. That's what's happening with the chest recession. They are compensating for their inability to get enough oxygen in. So they have to work harder, which is what is happening. So, but it was interesting as well. We could, they, the nurse's station was right beside us. So we could hear consultant speaking to the junior doctor after he had left us and he said to him do you know what it doesn't matter if the symptoms aren't really like you know um they aren't indicating something straight away if a mother comes to us twice in a row for the same thing we need to take them seriously because it's mums who have the best uh, gut instinct for their own babies which I thought was great like it was great to hear the consultant so brilliant. yeah and I think that's really important advice as well like yeah. to, to trust yourself yeah totally and I it's my biggest advice after all of this is if you have a gut feeling it's probably yeah. something yeah like really I've never had a gut feeling with my, my other three kids mm. nothing that I would have acted on yeah powerfully coming from you guys yes. this is a problem yes and it just was sitting there for weeks and months and I was like this isn't right there's something going on so um, definitely trust your gut. If you're a parent, mm. you know your baby best. You know your other babies. You know how it, you know, you know changes in your baby. Mm. So you're the best one to know. So um, they kept us in. They were like, "Oh, it's probably nothing, but it's good for you to get checked out." Um, and as soon as we were there, as soon as he fell asleep, his oxygen just shot down. They couldn't believe it. Like honestly, they were like. He's so well, he doesn't look blue. He isn't like, he doesn't have um, blue lips or blue fingers. His Physical feet, signs. Yeah, like nothing. He just, as soon as the monitor was on and as soon as, as soon as he was asleep, oxygen just tanked, just went straight down. So 
then we were in this situation where I had this massive sense of relief. I was like, okay, I'm here. Yeah. They can see this. Great. I'm not insane. Because you do think you're insane. Mm. Like you think that it's all in your head. You think that I started to think, am I manifesting all of this? And do all these people think that I have like Munchausen's or something? Because, but I've been told no a yeah. few times by people yeah. that, you know, so I can totally understand why you'd feel that. Yeah. Every parent hopes that when they present with their child that they show the symptoms. Yeah. Because always, doesn't it happen when you yeah. finally book a GP appointment and, and your kid fine. is like bouncing around the waiting room and you're like, oh, mm. at home, they're like. Yeah, always happens. Always. Um, so I did feel a massive sense of relief, but very quickly after that sense of relief, I was like, okay, now I have to deal with the fact that there's something, something wrong. going wrong. When we finally got an appointment or we got a slot in for the CT scan, and by this point I was going insane. I was obviously in with him the whole time. They don't have proper beds for parents. It's like a cot bed on the ground or like a camp bed. Um, so we finally got a slot, I think, on the Thursday. Yeah. And they had said, so we had been working towards a CT scan all week. Yet when it came to getting a slot on the Thursday, they said, okay, well, you're not going to have enough time to um, fast him now. So... We can't give him the medication so un to keep him kind of like out of it. So unless you can get him to go to sleep and stay asleep in the CT scanner, then we can't do it today either. And I like nearly hit the roof. Like you just have no, you've no resources at that point. They know point. how hard it is to get a baby to sleep on demand. Well, I did it. <laughs> so I just kept him awake for hours until it was time for the scan. And then I swaddled him up put him to sleep and then they said okay we're gonna bring him down so do you want to put him in the buggy and bring him down I said no I'll hold him if I move him to the buggy yeah. and then have to move him again yeah the transfer never works never works so I was like walking down the corridor and I was like oh my god he's suddenly really heavy <laughs> the whole way down the lift we got into the lift and then there was two guys in there and they were like shouting talking <gasps> and I was like oh god please stop shut it up. so we got down to the CT he got a scan and um that was fine and then later in the evening, the consultant came up and he said, don't, I can't stay too long. I'm going to come back to you tomorrow. And we're going to sit and talk about all this. But something did show up on the scan. Um, you know, we think it's this disease. And um, so we're going to do some genetic testing and we're going to talk to you about this, more about this tomorrow and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I kind of, it was just loads of information, kind of took some in and I was, very relieved that they had found something and we had kind of an idea of what it was. And um, he kind of presented it as being, you know, the most positive one disease that you're going to get. Um, and so I kind of digested it a bit. Um, that was all fine that night. We kind of had some answers. And then the next day they came and spoke to us. And I suppose then it really hit home for me. Um, like he started saying, okay, you're going to, he's going to need oxygen at home. And, you know, I was so eager to get home. I was like, mm -hmm, yeah, okay. Yeah, sure. Um, and he said, you're going to need to do this, this, and this. And I just was so desperate to get home that I was like, mm -hmm, yeah, mm. okay. It was only then when we left the hospital, I was sitting in the car and I just, mm. it just hit me like a bus. Like I can still remember that feeling. And I just bawled and bawled and I didn't stop bawling for about a week and a half. I just 
was hysterical and like not even consolable nothing anyone nothing anyone said to me would have helped my husband tried to to be comforting but none of it was comforting you know it was just it was all terror you know um was it worst case scenario kind yeah of terror yeah it was like is he going to die like for sure definitely I had to process all of that like is he going to die um Tim and Tim would say to me okay but they think it's this and and if it is that they don't think that those babies die they think those babies get better you know isn't that wonderful and I would just go straight to but what if it's not that what if it's the other ones what if it comes back as one of the genetic ones what if it comes you know and we're still waiting on the genetic testing so it could still be any of the other things um and I suppose I went straight into that dark hole and I said to Tim, you need to let me process this. You need to let me process the terrifying, horrifying things. The I need to process the prospect of losing him. I need to process all of that before I can even begin to be okay with this or to deal with this. such an important stage and like not to be communicating it because you want the person to say to you, oh, don't worry about that or to minimize your fears. It's like, no, let me share my fears because I just need to let them out of my body. I'm not asking you to fix them. No, I'm asking you to just listen to them. And a lot, I think a lot of that happens in parenting. You don't necessarily want, unless you're asking someone for advice, you don't want, you just want to vent and to get your fears out and everyone not everyone but like my my mom and my dad and Tim kept trying to you know allay my fears they kept trying to say it's going to be okay but actually that wasn't comforting because none of them knew that it was going to be okay mm-hmm. you know like none of them could definitively say he was going to be okay and he wasn't going to die so it wasn't comforting they had as much information as I had and it wasn't comforting what I needed it's the only tool that we know when you're trying to support and comfort somebody to tell them everything's going to be okay of course of course and I understand that I'm not uh, like yeah I'm not criticizing them but it's just when you're in the moment you're like oh my god please I just need to cry this all out so um I went but then about two days later, the oxygen arrived and that was really hard, like so hard. Um, the guy came in and he brought in this huge machine um, for the oxygen at night. He brought in all these oxygen cylinders, tubing, and it was just so overwhelming. Like, mm. um, and you have sh- equipment in your home to help your baby yeah. to breathe. Yeah. And I, and I said that in one of my, I said that in one of my Instagram posts, it was a complete invasion of Mm. our safe space. And, you know, people would say to me, oh, but look, isn't it great because you can have him at home? Of course, of course it is. Like, there's no two ways about it. I mean, better that than having him in hospital. And a few years ago, the children with this disease had to stay in hospital. So for sure, I am so grateful for that. It doesn't take away from the absolute awfulness of it. The reality of it. Yeah. You can now physically see something in your home to yeah. remind you that there's a problem. Yeah. And I and I think as well, I had, um, I had a lot of grief about what I had envisaged this, envisaged, I can't ever say that mm. word, <laughs> this year, you know, this first year of his life to be. We had to like say goodbye to all of that, like... I don't know if you can say you're carefree when you have four kids, but 
there is a level of being carefree, you know, when you don't have a child who is sick or has additional needs or anything like that. Um, and so I just, I did not, I suppose I did cope because I got through it, but I didn't. You mourned that reality, like that yeah, normality. Totally. And I was, um, I definitely had a huge, I was, I was in a lot of pain and I had a lot of grief and I had a lot of sadness. And so after about six days, I was like, okay, I, I just want to feel like I've had six margaritas. I want to feel a little bit like I'm drunk. So I said to him, I Don't need, we all? yeah, well, all day. <laughs> um, so I went to the GP and I said, to, I went in and the second I walked in, I just, oh my God, it was hysterical. I'd say she was like, okay. She was so kind. And I said, I want you to give me something. Or you give me a tranquilizer. I need something because I cannot continue like this. And she said, it was just, that's the way she said, she said, I will give you anything that you need. I will give you antidepressants, anti-anxiety. She said, I'll give you whatever you need, but I want you to know that what you're feeling is totally normal for what you're going through. Mm. And she said, and even though you don't, even though you don't think you're coping well, this is a normal reaction and response. Yeah. And actually I left without a prescription. She said, call me at any time you can call and I'll just write it up and I'll drop it over to you. But actually just someone acknowledging that this was awful that it was painful but it was a normal response Mm. made me it helped me just to say okay I can I'll see how I feel I'll go for a few more Mm. days see how I feel and as the days went on it's not that the grief I still have a lot of pain and grief about it and fear but you kind of um I kind of just went into a numb phase about it I just felt that I I would see how I went I, I still to this moment I'm not ruling out that I might need medication or I might I definitely need counseling but I just felt it allowed me the space to just do the grieving it's like she gave me permission to just totally mm-hmm. grieve it she said you do what you need to do now like um I had a really good chat with Sharon from our really big journey yeah she was on one of our episodes and we talked exactly about that when she discovered that Noah was incredibly ill um and how she had to process it herself Mm -hmm. and how it took a huge toll on her own mental health and counseling and as she would call it antibiotics for her mind um was what she needed in order to be the best mother to her sick baby and I remember just feeling like of course like you have to support the caregiver yeah yeah and the caregiver needs that level of kindness and medical attention yeah just as much as the sick baby oh absolutely I and I never realized it like I was saying the other day I don't know who I was saying to but um before Rue ever got before Rue was ever sick I would have been the type of person when someone said oh can I help you with that or can I do something for you I'd be like no no, no I'm fine I, I can do it no, no no like I'm I just didn't ever want to put other people out mm. And now what's changed is when people say, can I help you? Can I give you this? Can you, would you like to do this? Whatever it may be. I'll be like, yes, please. That would be really helpful. And it's a totally, you have to shift your mind, but like, there's a lot of love in that. If that makes sense, it's sounding really cheesy. There is a lot of love and there's somebody there willing to help you. They want to show you love and kindness. So it just opens up 
so much more love and kindness in your life when you actually allow people to help you sometimes. Instead of blocking it. Yeah. And blocking it just makes, yeah, it just brings so much more love. The person gets to share their love. You get to accept it. You get to be taken care of um, when you really need it. And sometimes we like all need taken care of with despite like mm. aside from having a sick child mothers need a lot of taken care of and it's like what I said um I've said before when I did the lying in after I had Rua I found that it was so wonderful because the only time in your adult life when people look after you like to the extent that sometimes you really need you need that someone people to mind you you know um that's probably why I just have so many babies because I just <laughs> need that uh, time afterwards to be looked after but um speaking of your other babies how were they throughout all of this um Leo um is an internalizer to your eldest yes he internalizes all his pain, all of his fear. And so he's the man of the house. Yeah. He's he's a very sensitive soul. So um I definitely noticed some little signs of anxiety. Um and so we just needed a what I felt the way I kind of feel with children is I feel that children can pick up on subtle difficulties. Um, or a subtle pain so emotionally intelligent yeah far more than adults I think the best way instead of trying to pretend nothing is happening be honest with them at a level they can understand even if it's something like you're having an argument with another adult in say a family member it is best just to be honest with them and say you know mummy is having a fight with you know, her auntie or what, her mom or whatever, that's normal adults fight like kids fight. And then it just takes all of the secrecy and the fear out of it, I think. Um, if they so don't we, know, they just imagine something bigger. Yeah. So we just tried to say, you know, Rua, Rua's lungs don't work the same way ours do. So we're going to need to keep our hands clean and, you know, um, but, you know, we're, that's why he has oxygen and we're looking after him and he's going to be okay. Um because there's nothing else we can, we can't say anything else. Um, and I think that that helped. I think just being honest with them helped. Mm. Um, and they're fine now. They're being spoiled rotten. We've had loads of, lots of kindness shown to us. So they love it. Like, you know, people have sent lovely gifts to them. And we've, um, you know, two weeks ago, we went down to uh, Giddy Studios in um, Dundrum and they did pottery painting. And I just they haven't stopped talking about it Aww. so like lovely kind gestures like that so they're delighted <laughs> um they did have a little fright they did and but I think the fright I think the fright when Ru, um when Rua stopped breathing in the car seat was probably way more than when he was in hospital because they were there for like so take us there um, oh God, it has nothing to do with this disease. It was just, we're the one baby who wants to do all of the scary things. Um, it was just a benign event. Um, he had another smaller one since then. Um, he was just in his car seat um, and he was in the middle of a cry and then he just didn't ever get to the end of the cry. He just stopped mid-cry. And... I was thinking, I was like watching him cry and I was like, okay, buddy, come on. I always have him in the front seat beside me because there's too many car seats in the back for me to reach and get him if I needed to. So I always have him 
um, with the airbag off in the front seat. And I was like, and I was parked, thank God. Um, I was like, okay, buddy, come on. And he never took a breath. And he just slowly, I could see it from the top of his head, slowly went white from the top of his forehead all the way down. And then his lips started to turn blue. And I just thought, oh my God. So I opened the seatbelt. I grabbed him out of the car seat. Um, and I brought, I just got him outside of the car and I just stood there looking at him screaming at the top of my lungs. I just didn't. I did. And I would know how to resuscitate a baby if I had to. Couldn't remember a single thing. <laughs> like not one. Isn't that incredible? One useful thing. No, couldn't remember it. So, um, cause I know I would be absolutely useless and I would think, oh no, if, if, if I had any kind of medical training or whatever, you might, it might come in, but no. you're just in terror. No. And it's why I think, you know, I said to my family and to Tim's family, you know, if we could all go and do a first aid course, it means that there are other people. So I could, yeah. I was saying to my friend, I could, um, I could resuscitate, God forbid, I could resuscitate one of her children. I couldn't do it to my own. So it's why so helpful when others around others you in the community you. know how to yeah. do this. So, um, he did, he came around <coughs> after, Hello, came ma'am. around after about a minute and oh, I can just tell you, I, I needed a really stiff drink. I brought him straight to the hospital and they said it was a benign event. Um, what does that mean? It means babies can just stop breathing like that randomly it doesn't have any effect on their health or their brain or anything like that. It just, they can do it. Now, subsequently, a few of the doctors on his team have said it was probably a breath holding incident. Um, and I always kind of thought a breath holding incident was more deliberate, like as in a, a baby um, was doing it because, you know, they wanted something or they wanted attention. But it can be like that they get caught in a, a cry or whatever it isn't a deliberate thing mm. um I even think it can happen I mean I know if I'm like heavily crying you know sometimes you you yourself it, it's so long catches before you. you take a breath yeah you're you're not making any noise anymore yeah but you haven't got yourself regulated to the point of being able to inhale yet yes and I think that's what's yeah. happening but what happens then is he's so long in that breath like holding his breath like that that he just faints and so it's all like I I, how do you how do you sleep at night like oh god because I I know any any mom of a little baby any parent of a little baby there's you know you're you're over the crib you're making sure like sleep and breathing is such an intense anxiety for a lot of parents for new mothers and I totally agree I think for us with the breath holding instances he's had there when he's awake and when he's crying so the comforting thing for parents is that it's what a breath holding instant won't happen in their sleep okay. it's not going to happen when they're in the middle of their sleep it'll happen when they're crying and they okay. catch their breath like that um as far as just stopping breathing in general like that's why I would say having your baby this is just a personal choice but mm-hmm. having your baby in your room with you mm-hmm. Like it really settles those fears because to be honest, I think most of us, you know, you'd likely hear change in breathing. We're all kind of so tuned into our babies. Yeah, I don't think you ever fully properly go into a deep sleep. <laughs> no, ever. Any, I'd anymore. love to. <laughs> um, You're just hardwired. Yeah. And, you know, they do say 
people who are worried about, um, you know, SIDS, you know, the, the risk is reduced if they're in your room, I guess, as well, because we have the oxygen on him at night. I don't worry as much about stopping yeah. breathing because he kind of has a constant flow of oxygen. Something is coming in. And how does he find the oxygen? Oh, God, yeah. So heartbreaking. So the, when you turn the machine on, we have, um, it's not an oxygen tank for nighttime. It's a machine that basically converts room air into concentrated oxygen. So when you turn the machine on, it makes this like loud beep for about five seconds. And as soon as he hears it, he just bursts into tears. Um, so it's, that's hard because you just want their nighttime to be lovely. And I always, um, I've always kind of fed and cuddled my babies to sleep. And then when they're asleep, I move them into the cot or the bed or wherever. So it's very, very, it's very distressing. And that's really difficult because we all know how difficult it is to get a little baby to go to sleep and how, you know, it has to be in that real soft lullaby cuddle and ease them off and to know he gets so upset. Yeah, that's very hard. I The only thing that pushes me through that and some nights I have definitely thought, I'm just not putting it on him. I'm just not doing it yeah. anymore. But what gets you through is the knowledge that, the knowledge that it's going to help. You know, this is for him. It's going to do him good having this in. You know, I always say it's the same about vaccines or any of that stuff. You're like, they'll thank me in the long run. They'll thank me in the long run. You do it even though it's distressing. You, you yeah. bring your children for vaccines because you know it's the right thing to do. And therefore you will, you will put them through that little bit of distress because you know that it's the best thing for them. Same way with the oxygen. You put yourself through it because you know that it's what they need and it's the best decision. So. <laughs> especially you know that's important coming from you because you have spoken about how you know he is susceptible to yeah. to lots of bugs and viruses and things and you know how important it is that we are all looking after our own hygiene and our yeah. own um immunization to make sure that those that are most vulnerable in society are being cared for yeah yeah absolutely i i mean it's very easy when you don't need to worry about it to not worry about it if you get me and before I mean I've had the flu vaccine for the last two or three winters I was pregnant and um had small babies so I did it because I just couldn't afford not to do it like I couldn't be sick with all these children <laughs> depending on me um and I got it last year when I was pregnant with Rua because I had such severe hyperemesis like I would have been floored if I had got a flu and so my reasons for getting it were, have always been very selfish. Like I just didn't want to get the flu. Um, and it's only now that Rue is sick, it just really hits me how selfish that was because as healthy individuals, you and I, you know, we could get the flu and we could be fine. We'd be fine in a week or two. Um, but it's for the other people for all the other people where you're not going to get better in a week or two you know so the people who will be in hospital who will be you know on monitors and oxygen and ventilators maybe it's for the people who will die from the flu that otherwise we could protect them you know um and for us I guess this is the scariest hardest time for us and I know other families through Instagram and stuff who have 
similarly um babies who are very vulnerable it's the scariest time you can't relax at all every time my kids go to school I think are they going to bring something home like who is sick and I'm always it's awful I'm always like when I drop them in the morning I'm like is anyone coughing anyone sniffling because you're like oh god just don't touch my kids just please I can't you know can't it's it's very scary that's that's the only thing I'll say you're just protecting him yeah and it's you know, again, I can't control whether kids are going to be sick in school. I can't control whether somebody coughs on them in the supermarket. Um, all I can do is limit mm. the exposure as best I can. So, you know, I do the online grocery shopping because I don't want to go. Supermarkets are filthy. Like, I know it's awful, but, it, you know, people are touching trolleys. They're coughing, you know. Um, a few other parents with children with lung issues have told us, you know, try and avoid um, places with air conditioning. So like shopping malls, places where the air is circulated flights. around, flights, things like that. Um, we won't be taking any flights with four kids at the moment. But, um, you know, like I, c I can't really bring my kids to play centres. I mean, we all know centres are just full of kids. This time of year, it's just, you know. So, um not that I'm particularly devastated about not being in a play centre, but... <laughs> Who doesn't love soft play? Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I definitely... It's between getting the flu vaccine and hand hygiene, we can do a lot to protect. And it's not yeah. just Rua. There are many, like, vulnerable people. And, I, you know, people who are going through chemotherapy, um, other immunocompromised people, um, elderly, very young babies that can't have the flu vaccine. Um, we can do a lot to protect them by just washing our hands, getting the flu vaccine, not visiting people when you are sick. I know like when a new, especially with new babies, when a new baby comes along, all you want to do is go, like I am so guilty of only wanting to squish those tiny little babies. But if you have a sniffle, even if it's just a mild sniffle, just stay away for a few days you'll be all better and you'll be able to see that baby but don't moms, don't compromise yeah new moms do not need that. yeah no we really don't and if I'm giving advice to new moms or expectant moms my biggest piece of advice is just don't have visitors just tell people you do not want visitors for a couple of weeks and then everyone can come and see your baby because those weeks are really precious as well not just for not picking up bugs but they're just precious time that you just you Need don't get back either. Never get it back. And I never knew that. And I know that's really silly. No, but you but don't until you... I just thought that this would last a lot longer than it feels like it lasted. Yeah. And I wish I had done more to just cuddle. To just stay home and cuddle. Oh, God. Yeah, I know. And it took me until Rua to really perfect that art of... So I need three more to get there. <laughs> um... Well, like, I just feel every baby, like with Leo, I was out in Dundrum Shopping Centre 24 hours after he was born buying presents for the midwives. And now Rua is eight months old and I still haven't bought a present for a midwife because like. And that's OK. It's totally OK. What I was doing with Leo was not OK. Mm. Like, really, there's no. I mean, I know I was so eager and even with Rua a little bit, I was real eager to get out and do stuff because I had obviously been so unwell when I was pregnant. But I will tell you, the more time I spent at home in bed, the more I wanted to be there, the more I felt, OK, I'm actually getting stronger, like mentally, physically. I, I feel really resilient now. 
And it's because I took the time. I let people look after me. I, you know, I asked for the help. I stayed in bed. I was like, I said to people, I'm staying in bed. Like, And it's the long-term recovery. Yes. It's not that you feel good today or tomorrow or the next day. Yeah. It's, it's your banking recovery so that in six months time, you're actually going to be okay. And that's definitely what I noticed because when I first had my baby and I brought her home, I felt on top of the world. Like I was like, this is the easy bit. What's yeah. what's going on? Four months later, fell off a cliff. Yeah. So common. So common because you're so ready for everything. Those first, I would say, 12 weeks you have oxytocin, you have adrenaline. Yeah, adrenaline. Yeah. You are like, this is the best. Well, I know I... I mean, it's probably not the same for everybody, but I know I definitely was like, oh my gosh, mm. buzz it. This is amazing. Yeah. I love it. And then you do fall off a cliff. Mm. You suddenly get to this point where you're like, oh, wait, I'm actually really tired. And now the baby wants to be held all the time. And oh God, oh, this is just tough. Um, and I would say all the time that um, the only way that I am putting one foot in front of the other is because I took six weeks and I stayed in bed and I stayed around my bed and I stayed in my house and I didn't go anywhere. And the, that's the only reason I have any type of resources for this, mm. because if I hadn't have done that, I think I would be on the floor. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it is. As you say, you're storing it up, you're storing it up for the times when it's going to be really tough and you're storing it up just in case mm. something even bigger comes along. And yeah. it just because you don't know. And it's it is it's a marathon. It is a marathon. It and, so is. I'm you know, um, so do, do like take that time. It's there and and embrace it and don't let your old self dictate yeah. to your new self yeah, what it should I, do. And I think there's definitely um, a sense of like, I think there is some pressure to get back and doing things and being out and showing your baby off and having the baby in the buggy and, you know, but honestly, there is nothing better than sitting in bed your TV up to your room, having food come to you. Oh, it's just the best. Oh, you're making me and want to do all the it cuddles. All over. Oh. You're making me want to do it again. <sighs> yeah. Now, obviously we don't use, as you said, you're waiting on lots of results still to come yeah. back. Um, so you don't fully know yet what's in store, but he's on a good road. He's putting on that weight. He looks gorgeous and amazing. Um, and you're in a positive place. Um, yeah, I would say not so much positive it's a place of acceptance of where we're at and a little bit numb like I think you mm. just you just bank everything up and as I said I will have to visit this and wrap this wound up really well and properly at some point but it that point isn't now mm. so I just um raise well right now yeah and I'm really grateful I suppose oh, you really um appreciate and are grateful for every I know this sounds really like wishy-washy but you're so grateful for every day you wake up and we're all there together in our own beds and being able to just pick your kids up and give them a cuddle every single day you're just so grateful for that um and it does it simplifies your life you know it makes you what's important and it makes you really appreciate the joy in the little things like the little tiny moments the moments when you can hear your kids giggling away upstairs and you think oh that's just so pure and so wholesome and so lovely and, and you they're can happy. yeah that's all we can do you know so um yeah but he is doing he's doing well and 
Yeah, as long as he keeps gaining the weight and he doesn't get any nasty bumps. That's what we hope for. You're doing an amazing job. Thank you. <laughs> you are. And to think that, you know, you have four under five. Your life is busy, you know, and you're caring for him so wonderfully. And you're caring for yourself by the sounds of things really well by taking that help and acknowledging that at some point you will need, you know, as you said, counselling or you will need to heal this wound. I think that's really important and it's really brave to say um, yeah. because it's easy as mothers to just pack it all down and try and march on and put the brave face on. So yeah, well done for everything you're doing. Oh, thank, thank you. And thank you for coming in today with lovely Rua and sharing your story. And I hope that it supports anybody else who's going through something with their little child. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. Not at all. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Every Mum the Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe and we'd love you to leave a review. This series is kindly supported by Water Wipes. Water Wipes are an essential for every mum from that first nappy change and during those messy weaning months. As creators of the world's purest baby wipes, Water Wipes are purer than cotton wool and water and are proud sponsors of Every Mum, the podcast.